This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space, a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. The following episode is a live recording of Tarleton State University's Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and International Programs, Diversity Dialogue, live on campus. October's topic is slam poetry and how the LGBTQ community has used slam poetry to express how they feel and what their life experiences have been. The presenter for this dialogue is a slam poet herself. Her name is Narda Roman Delgado. You'll hear her presentation on the history of slam poetry, how LGBTQ people use slam poetry, and you'll also hear some different students read their slam poetry. Without further ado, I'm going to let her take it away. I hope you guys enjoy. Hi, uh, thank you, Emily, for introducing me today. My name is Narderis Roman Delgado. Um, you know, if you can pronounce my name as Narda, I would really appreciate that. Narda is cool too. Um, I am a senior this year. I'm a public law major with a double minor in Spanish and political science. And today, I'm going to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart, and that's slam poetry. So I've had a lot of experiences with slam poetry, but to be honest with you, I cannot describe it without showing you a clip or a video of it first. It's so hard to go into a topic that is undescribable and is emotion-based. It's a foundation of emotion before um, showing you this video. So this is Thomas Hill, and this is Pray the Gay Away. His name was, but hopefully he gains the courage to find his name. Um, this is a story. Someone stole all my sunshine. Spirit and smile touch shaped from his hands. Some man of heaven, of holy, stole all my sunshine and my stardust, my dusk. And dawn gone, this world is a black sky, a lonely lurking up above. I've been wandering these galaxies looking for my me. I've been solar searching. <laughs> and there's this selfish sinister of something that stole my sunshine, stretched from these hands, a holy lamb of a boy, bones broke open to bleed out these rainbows. Cause everybody knows no color of the rainbow can rid of themselves righteous in the dark. So someone stole all my sunshine. I'm still not sure whether it be God or ghoul, whether it be Amen or a man too greedy for his own damn good. Something fusion of a prey, trying to pray my sky over a prey of the blackness. I can't see myself in the dark, my dusk and dawn gone. Praise the Holy Ghost, let's throw out this baby's family, my very bigotry. I heard only something biblical can bear such destruction. Praise the communion, the body and blood should bear. With some shadow of salvation, I'm sure you assure yourself that you're doing God's work. Praise the repent and the sin and the repent and the sin and the repent and the sin and the repent and the sin. Save me. I'm six hours away from last Saturday night. But we'll praise the night and all the liberation is denied. We praise the repent, the back bent and obedient body. Praise, praise this body that no longer belongs to me. Not since the day my sunshine was stolen, I've been holy lamb of a man. Hallelujah! He seems to be cured. 
God is engaged. I can't say every Catholic that I've been trying to stretch myself clean up, trying to make myself holy. Maybe then my father will hug me as tight as he does his Bible. But without Without my rainbows, these coffins are looking more bad than box nooses. Don't seem like such a nuisance. It's wrapped around my neck, neck deep in holy water. I'm drowning, but I can still feel the fire looking at my feet. Father saying, There's an inferno in my future. Both my faith and faith hang on these unholy shoulders. You, you said you pray this plank. Pray the sunshine and send this killer of a color away. Dusk and dawn, dawn, come, come, child. Let this biblical reach out those pesky rainbows. Just, just bow down to the altar. Let me alter you straight. You don't need no sunshine for your salvation. Welcome to the dark side. All right, so that was Miles Hill. Uh, I mean, Thomas Hill, my bad. <laughs> but that was Thomas Hill and Pray the Gay Away. And so basically, defining spoken word is so difficult for me, I think, because spoken word is a thing that weaves communities together. It is based on your own originality. Nobody can ever describe what you felt in your life. Nobody can ever tell you what happened to you or how you felt in that moment. So some poets use their hands, some, uh, some poets use their body movements, some poets use their emotion within their voice. I personally like using my voice more than I use my body when I speak. It's difficult for me to kind of uh, use body language when it comes to poetry. And in this uh, more... <laughs> to give it more of a definition, spoken word is rhythm in a structured. It is composed of medley slang and ordinary language. So it can be easily, um, it can rhyme. Sometimes whenever I do slam poetry, I use the last two words to rhyme the next line together, which is a habit, but it's the way that's my style. That's what I think sounds good to me, and it's the way that I relive my experiences. And sometimes you can use ordinary language. I went to a summit uh, about last year before the pandemic hit at LGBTQIA summit at Texas Tech. And there I met a lot of slam poets. And those people taught me that poetry doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't. There's somebody that I um, that I admire greatly who did poetry there and who didn't rhyme but rather spoke about their experience. And it was very clear hint you know it's kind of like straight to the point bullet it hits you hard and deep because the person was talking about anxiety and how it feels to be judged and in that moment you don't rhyme when you're anxious you don't think about a song or a lyric you just feel scared and that person used their poetry as a way to give me that vision and I think that's amazing and, you know, it's, like I mentioned, it's original to the writer. A writer can personalize and structure their style of poetry. <laughs> Sorry, this is very hard. <laughs> or the emotion they're trying to portray with the poem. Again, it's very original. I totally recommend to go on YouTube and just look up slam po poetry or button poetry, and there you'll find, like, variations of people, different types of styles. It's amazing. Okay, so this is kind of a question for y'all to just 
you know, think back in your life, like what type of oral traditions or poetry are you familiar with? It is important to note that throughout various cultures to keep culture and storytelling alive, it all came from word of mouth. This can be seen in Native American culture. I had the privilege to research Native American heritage culture, and it was amazing. Usually what people do is they tell morals and stories to their children, and that will be passed down kind of like a game of telephone, but it's more distinct because the morals will always stay there. This can also be found in Greek theater. I studied Greek theater back when I was like a freshman in college. And it, it base, the basis is to portray emotion. They didn't really have props. So they used the actors as a form or a way to express the emotion that they were trying to portray in a scene. So that's kind of what slam poetry is. So I want you to think back to yourself. When was the last time that I heard a poem? When was the last time that I sat down and listened to somebody talk about their experience? Pretty sure y'all have heard of uh, Milk and Honey, right? Does anybody know Milk and Honey, a black book? Very small. That's a no? Okay. <laughs> That's just me, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Kennedy. <laughs> but there are multiple ways poetry can be portrayed in different formats. Yeah, I mean, you guys have heard of haikus, 757, pretty sure, and have um, heard of poetry in different influences or fluxes. It's pretty great. So... Um, I'm going to give you all about a good minute to just kind of reflect to yourself and think about a time that you thought of poetry or that you experienced poetry live. Yeah, definitely fables are a huge influence in your life. If you ever heard of the, I believe it's the turtle and the hare. Is that the story? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm not really, I didn't really, uh, listen to fables growing up, so I don't know much about it, but, uh, a good friend of mine over the weekend, he sat down with me and, um, he would read just random fables and uh, we would try to guess the morals and they'd always be way off from like what we guessed. But, um, usually, uh, when I hear of fables, like I kind of think of like children's stories and children's book, <laughs> but, uh, they also hold deep meanings, especially if it's from somebody that you care about, if it's somebody that you grew up with or somebody who, um, wanted to teach you something in their own manner, on their own way. Fables can be created by people every single day. That's amazing. Huh? Cuentos. <laughs> so cuentos, you know, like stories. Um, that's a translation. But usually when it comes to cuentos, it's... For me, I think, in my experience growing up, cuentos was stories that my dad would tell me growing up in El Rancho, which is a translation to the ranch. <laughs> This old city, this old town. So uh, cuentos were always things that I would listen to. He would tell me about his own type of lessons throughout his life. So it would be similar things like, um, I remember when I was a kid, I was so grateful for El Dia del Niño, which is a celebration they have in Mexico for the Day of the Kid. I know, I can't believe we missed out on that. I'm so sad. But <laughs> when it comes to El Dia del Niño, it's a day that parents appreciate their kids and they give them gifts. My dad was very poor growing up, so the way that he celebrated it was fruit. He told me that when he was a kid, he would grab a plate and he would run all the way to his schoolhouse where they would be giving out fruit. And the story as goes is that he tripped and hit his nose. And he said, don't ever get too excited for something because you never know what's going to happen. And I reflect on that, even though it's such a childish tale. <laughs> And like, I don't know how he got that moral out of that, but I guess. Uh, 
but continuing on. So I would, I would really like to give the origin to black culture because spoken, spoken poetry is rooted in black culture. It was a way to keep stories alive and traditions to emerge. Spoken word was a vessel of remembrance, oral tradition, and a political catalyst. A lot of African-American history has passionate speakers with meaningful things to say, using these words as a means to reach a vast audience. These speeches are used for congregations and in sermons. In an article that I read about the origin of spoken poetry, it was institutions of slavery and racism attempted to silence generations of African-Americans. Thus, oral history became a means of maintaining identity, surviving and resisting oppression and exploitation, as well as a tool for achieving freedom. <clears throat> so to go deeper and further into that, I'm just going to put that down. <laughs> it immersed from the background of jazz in the 1920s, creating a new generation of writers. Actually, this catalyzed punk in um, the UK, if you didn't know that. And then soon in the 1960s, spoken word took its rightful pla place as a protest or a counter protest. You know, it was a form as, it was kind of like an anarchy sign. It was an anarchy symbol to be able to speak whatever you wanted to say. So many amazing writers arose from the 1960s and the civil rights movement. And, you know, uh, MLK, Malcolm X. It's, they are pretty much the origin of why um, spoken word poetry is such a political, like, punch to the face because it's what you want to say in a format. It's completely ruthless, and it's original to the writer. So the writer can say whatever they want. They can put out whatever they feel like. As for the LGBT community, how this interconnects with them, it's that it came around the mid-'80s, 1980s, when the AIDS uh, allegedly had become one of the most important forms of expression for the community. So there's uh, this man named Michael Klein who uh, captured poetry for life and the fever of those times. He basically, which you could say is like rebranded it for the LGBT community and became a format. It became a form of expression. So people started um, using it during those times of uncertainty. And um, it kind of refurnished again in the 2000s. So slam and performance presented as like in your face, multiculturalism identity. Other poets in the community confirmed to write lyric and narrative works, which confirmed to more traditional stylistic verse that alluded to art and literature, always with a hint of like homoerotic and, you know, melancholy uh, modernity as in like dissemblance. So basically what the writer was trying to say there, if you didn't catch my drift, is that it was, um, <laughs> sorry, catch my drift. <laughs> but if you didn't catch me, it was basically just saying that um, slam poetry was used as a way to hide um, homosexuality. It was kind of a hidden thing that people uh, used. It was woven into the lyrics, if you will, when somebody spoke about their experience. And that actually brings me to my next slide. Do you read poetry? Like, are you familiar with poetry? Have you ever read a poem and sat down and been like, hey, like, oh, this probably has different meanings. Like, I'm pretty sure in seventh grade, your English teacher made you read this poem and he had to go word by word figuring out what the meaning was, right? Which was probably very annoying, but 
that's the thing about poetry. It has different meanings, different influences, and that's very important to note. That's why you had to sit down for two hours looking over How to Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> that's why you had to go through those books, because it means different perspectives for every everybody, basically. So um, I'm going to give you guys about a good two minutes to like kind of reflect, and you know, if you, you guys are comfortable with it, um, you know... There's another mic over there if you want to talk about a poem that you've uh, read before. So, yeah. All right, to keep moving forward. So, the use of expression of slam poetry within the LGBTQ plus community. So, poetry can be described, described, my bad, <laughs> as reading and writing poetry encourages a certain interconnectedness and helps establish a sense of community between oneself and others. In other words, poetry can help us feel as we're part of a larger picture and not just living in our isolated wor little world, you know? So, have you ever had, like, just a really embarrassing moment? Like, super embarrassing, and you're like, nobody's ever gone through that, like, um, hold on, let me think, uh... I fell down the stairs once uh, holding a cup of coffee and it completely splattered all over my shirt. And I just felt so alone in that moment. But like, then, you know, I think it was like a week later, my best friend was like, uh, I actually fell down the stairs. And, um, but she broke her ankle. But <laughs> the difference between those two experiences is that you're not alone. And poetry is used as a format to make you feel that way, to make you be more open and vulnerable. A poet is open to their wounds. They're open to their experiences because they want their reader or their viewer to understand what they're going through. So the focus on speaking our desire by coming out of the closet has become itself a genre of verse embodying others to subvert their literary masks. So within the LGBT community, coming out has actually become its own form of poetry. It's a different experience for everybody, but it's one experience that kind of... Um, is the foundation for everybody, like if you understand what I mean by that. It's basically like everybody has a coming out experience. Everybody goes through it differently. Everybody has different parents, different upbringings. But the one thing that ties them all together is that I had to reveal my true self to the people I care about and had to put myself on that ledge and to see if I would be pushed off or I would be accepted. And that's very important, especially within the LGBT community. So, you know, the queer movement moved us back towards a recognition of shared identities, a destabilization of easy divisions. Gay poetry has been used in a way to free themselves from simple redactive. So gay poetry is now used as a format to free yourself from the experience you had. Sometimes whenever there's something on your head that's just waving so hard, you just want to tell people what happened. You just want to be open. That's kind of what poetry is used for in this format. Continuing on. So in the anthology of queer poetry of people of color, the poetry within it dates almost 100 years ago. Gay and lesbian poetry has found a readership and a newer understanding of its history and its participation in American poetics. In some ways, American poetry has broadened to include us. In many ways, we were there from the start. The poetry that dare not speak its name greatly expanded the range of the American poetic voice writing lesbian, bisexual, and transgender desire into the poetic tradition. So basically, it has become a format 
that uh, people use for their preconceived notions of being part of the LGBT community. And it's a highly elevated literary language that, you know, smacks a punitival, punitival, <laughs> my bad, religiously and elitism. So it's a way to just kind of be like, hey, like, to the, <laughs> to the system, it's like, this is what I went through because of, because I was not the norm because I did not fit in into the system. This is what I went through. It was a punch to the face to the people who made them feel isolated and a welcoming to those who have felt that experience as well. So like, how do you think storytelling slash slam poetry and other forms help people express themselves? Um, do you mind giving me your name? So Matthew said that slam poetry comes straight from the heart. It's um, it's opened. There is no holding back, which I completely agree with. Um, anything from the chat? All right. Definitely, um, poetry can be used in different forms of your life. It can be about a person. It doesn't even have to be about you, honestly. So Gustavo has says, I feel like it's a more comfortable way for some people or they can be better expressed through writing instead of speaking. Um, I had a very close friend of mine growing up who had difficulty telling me how she felt about things. So whenever she didn't feel like talking to me or she didn't know how to put the words out, she would write it down. And it would be a simple like string of words of like, I'm just not feeling well today. But using that small semblance of like, hey, I'm here, and I, you know, I'm not feeling really good, but I'm reaching out, that's kind of what poetry is for people. It's, it's that I'm here, it's that reaching out, it's the, this is me, this is my foundation, this is who I am. Uh, continuing on. So there's a lot of stigma when it comes to slam poetry. So there are multiple times in history that poets are often suppressed that are sexuality. This makes it difficult for poets to express their true selves because of these preconceived notions. We can choose to be public about our lesbians, lesbianism and run the attended game moot of personal, professional, and economic risks, or we can choose to remain silent and increase our chances of economic and professional security, but pay the personal price of being unable to speak about so much of our lives. So... The stigma often, growing up, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but the childhood book, Frog and Toad, <laughs> was actually, I believe the author's daughter had said that it was actually uh, her father's depiction of what he wanted in a relationship, an MLM relationship, which is uh, men, uh, love men, kind of like just a gay relationship. That's what he wanted out of life. That's why he depicted it in a children's book, and you would have never guessed that. Actually, um, I don't know if you've heard the song Girl Crush by Little Big Town. <laughs> I'm a huge country music listener. So the thing about Girl Crush is when I first listened to it, I thought it was genuinely about being a lesbian. I was like, I, I was very confused whenever um, it came out because people were very uh, controversial about it because usually country music is very secluded. There is only like a few ideas you can throw in there. And so when it came to that, I was just very surprised to how people received it. I thought it was kind of a hidden message for one of the artists to be like, hey, I'm gay, but turns out it was about a woman who loved her 
husband, I think it was husband, but her boyfriend so much that uh, whenever he broke up with her, he fell in love. I mean, she fell in love with the girl that he fell in love with because she wanted to be here. But I took it as kind of a semblance of like, well, you know, I'm gay. That's what, that's what I thought it was. So there are many um, writers who focus on this kind of literary device that kind of uh, is interwoven within poetry to make it to make these messages kind of hidden. So there's a poet named Gran who forces a rethinking of both language and the assumptions behind it. In a society that perceives lesbians as committing indecent acts and leers at a woman who kiss each other or calling each other lovers who admit to wanting other women, um, Graham uses it as a form to um, kind of hide it in there. Um, there are multiple artists that um, I feel like have come out in certain songs in certain ways. I don't know if you've um, ever listened to a song or like found out that an artist was LGBT plus and been like, whoa, <laughs> I did not see that one coming, which is not a bad thing. It's just a way of a person becoming even more true to their art. So, for example, Lil Nas, I believe it's pronounced Lil Nas X. <laughs> um, in one of his more recent albums, you can see in uh, the city that he had a gay flag. And it caused a lot of backlash. A lot of people looked at his music differently. But also, with this newfound uh, creation, he found a new community and more open arms. And it started people to start this conversation, like when Sam Smith... Uh, well, Sam Smith is non-binary, so they go by they, them pronouns. So um, this leads to the next question. What poets did you find out were part of the LGBT community? Or, you know, artists or actors. Yeah, I heard a lot about Emily Dixon and a lot of historical people in general. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard the saying of like, and they were roommates. No, it was, <laughs> it's like, you know, and they were really good friends. So they lived together until they died. <laughs> That's basically what history has done to a lot of historical figures. So um, throwing it back to like a musical like Alexander Hamilton, a lot of people believe that he was bisexual because he had a relationship with a man named John Lawrence. And he would send letters to him about his uh, like affections for him, basically, to put it in like a very um, just neutral way, I guess, like PG way. But yeah, even historical figures that would come out as LGBT, especially in Greek culture as well. <clears throat> Yeah. Who defied conservatism in Spain during the dictatorship. So. so LGBT poets that I admire a lot is Francisco Francisco X He writes poetry for adults and children. He was originally from Guadalajara, Mexico. He's Latino and he holds a gay identity. He goes into mythology and the Nahuatl, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce it, language, which is one of the original languages in Mexico before it was colonized. Um, he focuses on Mesoamerican history and American culture. And all of this is betrayed in his writing. And Audre Lorde, I love her. <laughs> She would describe herself as a black, lesbian mother, warrior, and poet. Lore did, dedicated her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustice of racism, sexism, classism, and homophobia. She was central to many liberation movements and activists, civil rights, and black cultural movements. So Lord dedicated her life 
to opening the truth to people through her poetry. One of my favorite quotes from her, it's called The Movement Song, and it's about one of her lovers. And she says, we were always saying goodbye in the blood and the bone over coffee before dashing for elevators going in opposite directions without goodbyes. So it's kind of a hint at how she loves somebody, but she constantly had to hide it from people. She constantly had to interweave it within her life. It was just an experience that she held to herself. Um, I'll figure it out. But yeah. Um, Lord was literally one of my favorite poems, and I really suggest that you look them up and you go through their uh, poetry selection and just look through their lives and what they've done for people. It's amazing what poetry can do and the effect it has on everybody. So, so <laughs> my experience in my own poetry. Okay, um, when I was in eighth grade, I had this amazing English teacher who had taught me poetry. And at the time, I come from like kind of a low-income school, not really. I, I don't really know how to describe it, to be honest. <laughs> um, she teach poetry through a person that she admired a lot, and it was uh, this poet, his name was Shane Coison. And from there, our school started having slam poems, and um, I have won multiple slam poems. <laughs> but... Uh, also, I did get second place at the summit, and I was also um, in a Austin regional poetry that I won first place of. So poetry has always held a near and dear part in my heart. It has always been a part of me and my writing and the way that I express myself with my friends and who I am. And it is something I'm very passionate about, and I actually brought one of my pieces to um, kind of give you a spot into it. Um, like I mentioned previously, I am not much of a poet who uses their arms or their body language to p express an emotion. I am somebody who uses my tone of voice. And um, I am very sorry if you can't speak Spanish, because there's a portion in this poetry that uh, it requires uh, Spanish, just a little bit of knowledge of Spanish. Also, like, heads up, there's, like, a small Spanish cuss word. Um, all right, okay, so this is um, how I became me, which is a way of um, referencing to my coming out. This is one of my experiences, and this is the person who uh, was my first love. So, I met her in the 10th grade. She wore her hair in a long ponytail. She was the holy grail of random words of the day. Each day was something new. She had an affinity for the word melancholy, would read of like a longing for a world she never knew, a world where she was reading off a book inside of a coffee shop, imagining a place where she could run away to put a stop to the self-hatred she faced. She loved coffee. It was her favorite drink. She drank it completely black with sugar within. It was inside a bottle that read Corinthians. She was extremely religious. And every time she spoke of God, you would believe it as she would make you imagine him standing right in front of you, accepting and embracing his creation, the one castrated and hated for finding love. I thought she didn't know. 
I thought that every time I gazed at her, it was a friendly stare. She has no idea how much she amazed me. How every time I looked at her, she was breathtaking, awakening a side of myself that was pushed down, ignored. It happened one day when it was all a disarray, and I was in English class exactly at 12.45. Her hand grasped mine, and I decided to grasp it as well. I held on to it like mankind was just created and God had just showed them the truth of humanity and that's that we need each other to feel complete. Afterwards, we held hands every day. We held them under our desks. It was a secret, a conversation no one understood. When I would rub my thumb in the back of her hand to feel her, I felt complete, but something inside me felt weak. Her hand burned against mine. I could feel the scar from the nail, the one that everyone told me someone sacrificed themselves for, the scar that would take me to hell, for this love wasn't written in the scripture. It was a picture of sin. It was 1.35 when I asked her who she was interested in. She perked up and immediately hit her face as a way to hide the blush that graced her cheeks. I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> as she spoke of a boy in chemistry class, his short hair and brown eyes, nothing disguised the hurt he felt inside. But if you know me, I'm the most oblivious person you see because she was really describing a small girl in stature. It was until I talked to a friend who told me to no end, you're an idiot, and that I was delirious. It was 4.37 when I asked her to be mine. After school, in a band room, who would assume that she would say yes, my heart was pounding, and the cross that hung from her chest judged me. I remember going to her church, how I felt that her mother always knew the truth about me, how we would hold hands in secret when she drove us after school. We made sure to hide our our clasping hands under our thighs to disguise the truth. Her mother would watch us from the mirror, trying to understand the love that radiated from our youth. It was 5.23 when I told my dad. We were always close. It was just the relationship we had. We shared our birthday. He still mentions to me what it was like to turn 30 and have a child at the same time. It was like the stars aligned to deliver him his third baby girl. But when they deliver her, they never tell you the truth who she'll love, who she'll share her first kiss with. We were in our tiny kitchen. My immigrant parents couldn't afford much, and I was a parent by the time I was nine. The words couldn't come out of my mouth. My father can't speak English. It was hard to say it in my second language. How could it come out of my native tongue when even I knew my ancestors would shame me for using their words to participate in something they would consider a sin? But somehow they came out. And I, I turned to him. Papa, amo a alguien. ¿Quién es? Es mi amiga. Me mira con unos ojos que quieren que sea una mentira, pero me dice, quite esos pinches pendejadas de mi casa. It is currently 12.43, and my father does not speak of the moment we shared that I'm fully aware. The girl I loved in 10th grade is in the National Guard, and our relationship is preferred to be seen as friends. But I will keep loving despite what I have to face with my family. Despite knowing they won't be there when I profess my love all dressed in white. Despite knowing that it'll take some time for me to walk in the street holding my lover's hand without fear that I'm in danger even though no one in here are strangers to love. Despite watching the news, seeing what law was passed in fear, what happens next, I know that I will prevail. I will love till there's no tomorrow, no matter how much sorrow I have to face. I will love and embrace everything I am because this is me. Thank you.
So I'm going to do a small workshop, but like you guys don't have to do anything, honestly. It was just kind of a suggestion. So, oh God. <laughs> so poetry starts with your own experience. Think of a time that changed your life, you know? Just hold it in your head, like picture it. What's a moment in your life that you felt alone, isolated, or happy, or full of love, or accepted? And, you know, start off with a couple of normal sentences, then go back and see what you can rhyme out of those. That's what I do. I usually just write down an experience, and then, you know, I go back. I use, like, rhyme zone. <laughs> and I um, basically uh, rhyme the last uh, letter to my sentence. So that's how I come up with my poetry. And, you know, you read it back to yourself, and you try to find your own specific style. How do you express yourself? For me, I am very closed off. I like to just focus on the way that my voice is being presented to people. For some people, they like moving around a lot. They like using all forms of expression within their body to try to express something. So this could be kind of a poetic awakening for you, if you'd like this experience. But... Um, yeah. So continuing on. <laughs> so I, I'm going to have an open mic if you guys are down to talk, down to throw down a slam, or just, you know, if you want to ask me a couple of questions, that's cool too. Um, I'm down, I'm down with whatever, honestly. Um, if you have a poem that you'd like to speak, man, go ahead, take the mic. It's right there for you. It's, um, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be about the LGBT community. It can be about whatever experience you had in your life that you felt changed you as a person. Um, yeah, you know, go ahead, ask me, ask away or, you know, slam away. Real quick, can we get a hand for Narda and that performance? Thank you so much. It's a very powerful piece, and I appreciate you. your willingness to perform again. Hi, <laughs> my name is Matthew. Uh, I've uh, never been too indulged into poems until like about two summers ago where I was working at a summer camp and I just walked into this old antique shop and I just saw this book about poems, right? And I'm a pretty boring person, <laughs> but something about that book just kind of spoke to me. It was a book of love poems. And just every now and then, whenever I had time, whenever I'm not with the campers or just on my break, I just kind of opened the book. And I'd have to say my first real experience with poems came when I uh, read this one poem. I'll be honest, I can't remember the name of it or really any specifics about it, but the story went along about kind of the anxiety of, not the anxiety of love, but the anxiety of the aftermath of love. like the fear of losing the person that you care about the most. And really aside from this, that was kind of like my own little personal poetic awakening. I tried making poems, but I'm not very creative. But honestly, this kind of reminded me of that. So thank you for the presentation. Um. For many of you may know me, my name is Jaden Owens. I am one of the student workers and one of the active community members for BSU, Men's Freedom, OLAS, and just I'm around a lot. Yeah, y'all know. <laughs> but 
I'm more focused on with poetry. I'm focused more on music than anything. And I nitpick sometimes. Like, I was really into quotes and things of that sort. But this one I typed up over the summer because it was a really difficult time, not only for me, but for many other people. And they'll understand when I start speaking on this. This is Know My Struggle. You will never understand my struggle, no matter how hard you may try. The blood within me is the same as yours, yet it's still the polar opposite. We share this, yet you neglect this. We strike fear for you, for just walking like you, for shopping like you, for pumping gas like you, for blinking like you. Yet we pose as a threat or a thug. Living in years and living in fear for 400 years has become a generational thing. We see the police, yet we don't feel safe. We see our president who endorses violence against us. How can we ever be safe? How can we ever be equal? How can we ever live past the age of 40? Simply letting this continue? Shut our mouths as you kneel on our necks. Keep our hands raised as you shoot on our backs. Curl on a ball, shouting stop as you kick us to the ground. It's a struggle sharing the same blood that oppresses you. So if you guys have any further questions, I'm gonna give you like one second. We're all good? We're all good. Okay, that's great. Hello, everyone. Um, so I wrote this poem in the advent of whether they wanted to keep the Guantanamo Bay uh, prisoners uh, in there or release them. And there was a crisis with um, some immigration, you know, it's still going. But <laughs> so the poem is called and Disclosure, so it does have some offensive words. Some people may deem him. But my poem is called uh, Golden Teeth Whore. Land of the free, I speak to you, O beautiful one, with my 6% in my pocket to you two weeks before the ice of March. Always in my mind, never thinking of you, I say to the little ones, the ones that you deny a number, that you are the sweetest mother they could ever have. Your invisible, your invisible chambermaid's clean and seeing in awe and disbelief the blood of an industrial carpet. Yes, they sing in tongues to you as if. Oh, you beautiful, through me they chant, the ones in the bay whom your swiftness hurts their minds and stings their skin. They say they want a date. Don't look at me surprised. Yes, it is me talking, but it's them speaking. In me, darling, you have a man, a lover, an artist of sorts, a man who paints feelings with words to you, oh beautiful golden teeth whore. Thank you. Uh, can we get another round of applause for the poets who came up here and put themselves out there? Amazing, amazing. I'd like to thank you guys for coming and listening to my poetry, and I'd really, really like to emphasize that, you know, go ahead, you know, find poetry that is specific to you, find something that represents you as a person, go on YouTube, go on Google, uh, go to a local bookstore, and find a poem that is who you are. I'd like to thank Emily for helping me out throughout this entire process and being so kind to me. Uh, would you like to say something, Emily? I appreciate you willing, your willingness to be vulnerable when I asked you to do this and explore such an interesting topic. Um, I like doing something that's a little bit 
multi-lensed for our month this month. Um, and I would appreciate if everyone would make sure to take the time to fill out our evaluation. For those of y'all in the room, there should be QR codes available that will scan and take you to that form. And for those of y'all on Zoom, I just posted links to both the sign-in form we're using and the evaluation that'll give us a little bit of feedback. But thank you all so much for being willing to share this space, be vulnerable. And thank you to those who shared poems in this space um, on the spot, because I know cold performance is really hard. And that was really, really brave. So thanks for being bold with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything. I hope you guys have a wonderful day and a wonderful rest of the week. I'd like to go ahead and thank Narda for sharing all of that with us. It was amazing and I really learned a lot of things about slam poetry and the culture and the history behind it. I'd also like to thank the Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and International Programs for this partnership and allowing us to share this stuff with you guys. The next live dialogue will be in November, and the topic is going to revolve around Indigenous women and their experiences. I'm really excited about that. Um, I hope you guys are too, so just keep a watch for some more bonus content. For updates on our show, you can go to The Planet 100.7 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's the radio station we're based out of. We post updates and reminders there all the time, so just check that out. Until next time, be safe out there, folks, and take care.